Hey, hey, and welcome to episode 81 in a happy Academy Awards season to you and yours. Thanks for noticing the pop-up alert or the social media posts that announce the existence of this latest episode, and then deciding to give that little triangle that points to the right a tap in order to play or download this show. Whether it's your first time listening or your 81st, you're taking the time out of your morning, afternoon, or evening, as the case may be, so thanks for your time. I'm your host, Frank, and this is Silver Screeners. Story time. I was giving a film talk at a senior living facility last month in January on the 80th anniversary of Casablanca. I'm there once a month on Saturday mornings. It's a good monthly gig. At this particular place, I only speak for about an hour, and I'll show trailers on YouTube, and I'll show maybe a couple of clips, and give them some behind-the-scenes fun facts. Well, the images and the trailer were smacking of the familiar for a lot of the people who came, so there was this nostalgia afoot. Once it ended, one particularly confused, and I sincerely use that word kindly and respectfully, an older woman turned to her friend and asked, I thought we were going to be watching the movie. And her friend replied, No, he doesn't do that. He told us about the movie. And the confused woman said, But we watch a movie every Saturday. Her friend answered, Yes, on Saturday nights they play a movie here. Are we watching this movie tonight? And her friend said, No, tonight they'll be showing us La La Land. And the confused woman suddenly found her in a gumption, straightened up a little, and said, La La Land? Who the hell wants to watch that? Ooh, savage. Observing this conversation from afar, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and guess... not her? Sorry, Damien Chazelle, you may have gotten the Best Director Oscar for La La Land, but as far as the movie goes, it is apparently not a universal love affair in the City of Stars on Another Day of Sun. Don't be stubborn, it's apparently not every day for you. But I did cover La La Land in episode 45 a year ago during the previous Oscar season. So if you haven't heard that one yet, or feel like revisiting it, it's there for the download. In today's episode, we'll be showing the love to Mr. Chazelle again, as his 2014 Whiplash is one of the two Oscar nomination showered films we're looking at. So even if a resident of a senior living facility hears of a showing of La La Land in the common room and says, Say what? The success of Whiplash proves that Hollywood has plenty of champagne dreams and caviar wishes for everyone. Whiplash was eight Oscar seasons ago, if you can believe it. But before you slam on the brakes, turn to your device in disbelief and say, Eight years ago? You're looking at something that old? That was two U.S. presidential administrations ago. Oil prices have gone up and down God knows how many times like a hooker on a waterbed. Viola Davis wasn't an EGOT winner yet. An Oscar-less Leo DiCaprio was still a meme. I can't deal with going that far back. I can't. I... I just can't. I... No! Whoa there, don't blow up my laptop, you silly cinephile. Breathe in the good and out the bad, and take to heart the words of Oscar recipient Lauren Bacall. It's not an old movie, if you haven't seen it. In this run of Oscar-themed episodes, we take a look at one of this year's nominees. It could be from any category, ranging from musical score, costume design, or acting, to screenplay, visual effects, or directing. And that nominee will be paired up with a previous nominee or winner that's connected to it directly or thematically. And this time around, we're singing Hooray for Hollywood at Kate Blanchett, who is celebrating her eighth acting nomination for the Todd Field-directed film Tar. The former Queen Elizabeth I and Bob Dylan and Catherine Hepburn, all people she has portrayed in Oscar-honored performances, is up for Best Leading Actress for playing Lydia Tar, a brilliant but messed-up composer-conductor, who has an Emmy, Grammy, Tony, and Oscar, 
is a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Harvard, was personally mentored by Leonard Bernstein, composed the score for a homoerotic mafia film that Martin Scorsese directed, and is now the first female principal music director of a major Berlin-Germany orchestra. So in other words, she half-assed her way through life. In getting back to Damien Chazelle in 2014's Whiplash, J.K. Simmons received the Best Supporting Actor Academy Award on February 22, 2015 for his turn as a likewise brilliant but messed up music instructor and conductor named Fletcher. Two Best Picture nominees, two Oscar-honored roles, both fictional characters who passionately and ferociously conduct music, and that's nothing to shake a stick at. Thank you. We'll follow the usual format for an episode where there is no guest, spoiler-free plot setups, meaning the premise of both films, how they begin, then the spoiler alert as we go into some behind-the-scenes fun facts for both, then we'll wrap up with the poll results and the listener trivia segment. So let's begin by immersing ourselves in the life of one Lydia Tyre, and contrary to what internet trolls, fake social media profiles, and quote-unquote news stories that you may be privy to might lead you to assume, no, this is not a biopic. The story and all of the characters are 100% fiction. Todd Field is a double Oscar nominee this year for Tar in the categories of director and original screenplay, along with editing and cinematography, and the aforementioned best picture and leading actress for Blanchett. Tar is up for an impressive six Oscars. Wow. 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 Thank you, Owen Wilson. Ta premiered in Italy at the Venice Film Festival on September 1, 2022, the Telluride Film Festival in the U.S. two days later, then in Milan, Italy on September 23rd, and then released officially on October 28th in the U.S. and Canada. I streamed it on Amazon, where it's available for rental, but be forewarned that it does clock in at an ass-numbing 2 hours and 38 minutes. So if that's not your cup of cappuccino, you may want to watch it with a self-made intermission built in as I did. To be candid, when it ended, my immediate reaction was, I won't get into spoiler territory yet, but I will say that you're left with way more questions than answers. After the film company logos make their appearance, the film begins with an immediate cut to a shot of Lydia Tarr, played by Blanchett, asleep on what seems like either a train or a really spacious first-class plane seat. She's in a sitting position, slumped against the wall with a glass table in front of her and an eye mask on but it's all completely out of focus because we see this through an unseen character's phone. Whoever it is is sending a video of Lydia sleeping to someone, and the image on the phone is what's more in focus and what's in the foreground. There's also a text exchange reacting to the live stream, the recipient's words in gray and the sender's words in blue. Gray asks, what time did she get up this a.m.? Blue replies, I wasn't with her. S was. Gray goes on to say, our girl's an early riser, isn't she? And Blue adds, haunted. Gray comes back with, ha, you mean she has a conscience? And Blue cryptically answers, maybe. After a beat or two, Gray gets in a little jab. You still love her then. Then cut to black. The opening credits begin over the black screen as we hear audio of a woman singing in a different language, though I couldn't make out what language it was. The subtitles don't help either as they only indicate woman singing in foreign language. Whoever wrote those subtitles, all I can say to you is, really, Columbo? The singing voice and the melody itself are admittedly pretty hypnotic. The song ends, we hear the woman sigh, and then there's a quick cut to a shot of Lydia standing backstage with the sounds of a waiting audience chattering in the background. She sniffs, she inhales, she crosses and uncrosses her arms, 
She makes quick, conducting gestures with her hands and arms. She sniffs again. She nervously psychs herself up for her grand entrance with a capital G and E. Her assistant, Francesca, played by Naomi Merlon, brings her some hand lotion, a pill, and a glass of water. She straightens her conductor jacket and walks out to the sounds of applause as we see images of her on her hands and knees rolling up a floor carpet and tossing LPs of different symphonic movements onto the floor. As she's moving them around with her bare foot like some kind of musical version of Tetris, a second person's bare foot appears by hers and there's a brief hint of a game of footsies about to commence. The voice of Adam Gopnik, who is a real-life American writer and essayist for The New Yorker, announces to the audience, quote, If you're here, then you already know who she is, and that is one of the most important musical figures of our time. This is, by the way, the real Gopnik playing himself. He goes on to list all of her impressive credentials, as we see a series of shots of her preparing for this appearance by getting fitted for her outfit, and of the tailor making necessary adjustments. But a significant line from Gopnik's introduction of Lydia is this. In 2010, with the support of Elliot Kaplan, she founded the Accordion Conducting Fellowship, which fosters entrepreneurship and performance opportunities for female conductors, allowing them residencies with major orchestras around the world. In 2013, Berlin elected Tyre as its principal conductor in succession to Andres Davis, and she's remained there ever since. By the time his incredibly long intro is done, you're 23 years older, but you're ready to get to know this character. She and Gopnik are sitting on stage in a large auditorium in front of what seems to be a sold-out crowd. He begins by asking her, I couldn't help but see you flinch just a little bit as I was reading your bio. Was it because I forgot some other amazing achievement? Oh, you. <laughs> or do you have a slight self-consciousness about the incredibly varied things that you've accomplished? She inhales and responds, Well, in today's world, varied, it's, it's a dirty word. I mean, our era is one of specialists. And if you're trying to do more than one thing, it's, you know, it's often frowned upon. He fills in the gaps by saying, every artist gets typecast. And she agrees, oh yes, aggressively so. He asks, well, do you think there'll be a moment, though, when the classical music community decides not to use sexual distinctions to differentiate artists? And she smoothly answers, I'm probably the wrong person to ask since I don't read reviews. But it is odd that anyone ever felt compelled to substitute maestro with maestra. I mean, we don't call women astronauts astronauts. That knee-slapper of a humdinger gets a laugh out of the audience, and for the briefest of moments, you see a flicker of relief flash across the tense face of Kate the Great, almost as if the laugh were a tension-breaker for her. She grins, looks down, and immediately continues saying, But as to the question of gender bias, I really have nothing to complain about. Nor, for that matter, should Marin Alsop, Joanne Folletta, Lorenz Equilbe, and Natalie Stutzman. I mean, there's so many incredible women who came before us. You know, women who did the real lifting. He then asks, that's fascinating, who for instance? She mentions Nadia Boulanger and Antonia Brico, who by all accounts was an incredible conductor, but was ghettoized into the non-glamorous status of a guest conductor and essentially treated as a dog act. That line right there is one to remember as the film continues, where she describes the perception of a guest conductor, but I will not say why. And another little snippet from Lydia's interview to keep your eyes and ears open for, Gopnik asks her if they can talk a little bit about how there are still people who think of a conductor as a kind of human metronome. She says, well, that's patly true, but keeping time, that's no small thing. He tries to be flattering and says, but I suspect there's a lot more to it than that. And she says, well, yeah, I would certainly hope so, but time is the thing. Time is the essential piece of interpretation. You cannot start without time. 
See, I stopped the clock. The reality is that right from the very beginning, I know precisely what time it is and the exact moment that you and I will arrive at our destination together. Foreshadowing of events and characters to come into her personal and professional life throughout the film indeed. But let's end our time with the plot setup of Ty because you have enough gas in the engine now to get your mental movie motor running if you decide to give this film a go. Time now to head over to the world of percussion as we pivot towards Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. It debuted at the Sundance Film Festival in January 2014, then at Cannes in France in May of that same year, and then all throughout the world at different film festivals in countries ranging from Hungary to China to Greece to Norway to Brazil to Switzerland before opening in limited release in October in the U.S. Whiplash was nominated for five Academy Awards, Best Picture, which went to Birdman, Best Adapted Screenplay for Damien Chazelle, which went to Graham Moore for The Imitation Game, and it won three for Sound Mixing, Film Editing, and Supporting Actor for J.K. Simmons. As the film opens, we see a black screen with a title appearing in the slow rhythm of a beating drum. The tempo increases to an almost furious pace before suddenly stopping as we cut from the black screen to a long shot of a hallway with an open doorway at the end. And through that open doorway is Andrew Naiman, played by Miles Teller, sitting at his drum set. The camera slowly zooms in as he begins to play the drums, and once we're close enough to him to see his face, he stops suddenly and apologizes to an unseen character behind the camera. That character is Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons who tells him, no, no, stay. He's bald. He's wearing a form-fitting black t-shirt with a black sport coat buttoned over it. He's got pronounced cheekbones in which one could crack walnuts. And he asks Andrew his name. Andrew tells him and confirms that he's a first-year student. Fletcher asks if Andrew knows who he is. And Andrew says, yes. Fletcher asks him, so you know I'm looking for players. Andrew replies nervously, yes, sir. And Fletcher challenges him as only Fletcher can. Then why did you stop playing? Andrew takes what he perceives to be an invitation, so he plays his hat out on a set in front of Fletch's stony gaze. He finishes, drenched in sweat, and looks up expectantly. Without changing a muscle group in his tight face, Fletcher then asks, Did I ask you to stop playing? I asked you why you stopped playing, and your aversion of an answer was to turn into a wind-up monkey. Andrew jumpily tries to offer an apology, but Fletcher cuts him off with, Show me your rudiments, and removes his sports coat. Andrew plays, Fletcher tells him to double-time it, Andrew throws himself into it, we zoom in on his furiously determined face, when suddenly, there's a door slam. Andrew looks up, and it appears that Fletcher has left. After a few beats, he opens the door and walks in again, Andrew straightens up, but all Fletcher says is, oopsie-daisy, forgot my jacket, and out he goes again, leaving Andrew sitting there, feeling like the stuff that builds up in the shower between the tiles, where the grout's chipped away, but you don't know what it is and you don't want to look at it and a title card comes up that reveals the setting. Schaefer Conservatory of Music, Fall Semester. The original overture from the film, written by Justin Hurwitz, kicks in as we're treated to a series of low-angle shots of the city's skyscrapers and close-ups of popcorn at a movie theater concession stand as Andrew finds solace in the loving arms of the silver screen. He takes his seat next to his father Jim, played by Mad About You's very own Paul Reiser. He tells Matt about you that Fletcher saw him play, but that the feedback was less than stellar. Munching on his raisinets-covered bucket of popcorn, Matt about you tells him, well, you still have options. When you get to be his age, you get perspective. Andrew retorts that he doesn't want perspective. 
We next see Andrew taking his seat in the band room and observing the chatter of the other music students going on around him. The instructor, Mr. Kramer, played by Damon Gupton, walks in, and they kick into a jazz piece called Billy Zane, as in Cal Hockley from Titanic. Andrew sees a shadow through the frosted glass of the closed band room door that seems to stop and listen. Presumably it's Fletcher, but then he moves on after just a few seconds. Later, as Andrew walks down the hallway, he approaches another band room where Fletcher is conducting. Unable to help himself, he peeks in, and wouldn't you know it, Fletcher turns and sees him, and Andrew moves sharply out of sight. After listening to a Buddy Rich CD and studying its tempo, he's back in class with Mr. Kramer. When Fletcher suddenly bangs open the door, we have an effectively rapid and smooth zoom-in on Andrew's face as he looks up. Fletcher walks over to Mr. Kramer, abruptly says, May I? And Fletcher looks down at the sheet music and mutters, Cute, with a contemptuous sneer. He immediately has the trumpets start up, stops them, calls in the trombones, puts the kibosh on them, brings in the tenors, no dice. He then tests the two drummers, one of which is Andrew. He calls Andrew over to him and says softly, Room B, 16, tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., don't be late. Andrew returns to his seat with a small smile on his face as Mr. Kramer once more strikes up the band. Brimming with newly conjured up confidence, he proceeds to the movie theater and asks out the girl behind the concession counter. She's Nicole, played by Melissa Benoist, and she accepts. Then, the unthinkable happens. He's in bed early in the morning rolls over, and groggily wakes up, and sees that his alarm clock reads 6.03 a.m. Panic-stricken, he grabs his stuff, races out of his dormitory like a bat out of hell, flies down the street like his feet have wings, rushes into the classroom building, and leaps down the stairs, trips and lands flat in his face. There's a close-up of him grimacing in pain. Then he completes the journey, arrives at room B-16, opens the door, and sees... nothing. Dagnabbit! He miserably takes a seat at the drums and stews in his own misery until the clock reads 9 a.m. The other students all enter, chattering away. I guess the clown car must have let them out because they all walk in at once. They take out their instruments, and Andrew confirms to one guy who asks that, yes, he's the new alternate. The door suddenly bangs open, and in comes Fletcher. Everyone dummies up, stands up, and looks down like they were just thrown into Shawshank. Andrew tensely waits for retribution, and without fail, Fletcher announces to everyone, We got a squeaker today, people. Naaman, 19 years old. Isn't he cute? And the band dutifully chuckles in response. He has them burst into playing the jazz piece Whiplash. And after about 20 or 30 seconds in, he stops everyone and singles out one player, saying, That's not your boyfriend's dick. Do not come early. Ooh, savage. The band resumes, and then he stops them again, saying, Now this one really upsets me. We have an out-of-tune player here. Before I continue, would that player care to identify himself? Needless to say, there's silence. Fletcher sarcastically says, No? Okay, maybe a bug flew in my ear. They resume for two seconds, but he stops again and says, No, my ears are fine. We definitely have an out-of-tune player. Whoever it is, this is your last chance. Crickets. He continues, There it went. And as the tension reaches stunning proportions, I'm going to stop there so you can check this film out yourself and revel in the sociopathic brilliance that is J.K. Simmons' fiery, Oscar-winning acting. I would tell you more about how the scene plays out, but I'm not strong enough. Let's leave Fletcher and Andrew behind in the band room, lock the door, and throw the key away as we pivot towards the behind-the-scenes fun facts for both Tar and Whiplash. 
As always, I want to play fair and remind you that in this segment, there may be spoilers, so proceed with the knowledge that there'll be references to different points in the films, potentially including their endings. So, spoiler alert, now. Number 5. In October 2022, NPR's Scott Simon interviewed TAR director Todd Field. They played a sound clip of the beginning interview scene that I described earlier, where Blanchett as Lydia says, the reality is that right from the very beginning I know precisely what time it is, in the exact moment that you and I will arrive at our destination together. Simon asked Todd Field if these are the words of someone who was intoxicated with all that power. Todd Field's response? Quote, well, I mean, it's a very, very, you know, exalted position to be a conductor, as anyone who's had the opportunity and the privilege of doing it will tell you. And if you talk to other conductors, or if you hear them speak, they talk about that feeling of the music coming through them. There are very few people who've walked the earth who know exactly what that is. It's a little bit like being on Mount Olympus, you know? End quote. Now, far be it for me to put words into the mouth of an Oscar-nominated director, but I would say his answer is yes. Number four. In that same interview, NPR's Simon says, <laughs> see what I did there, Simon says? Simon says, quote, I think we don't reveal too much to say she is accused of abusing her power to compel sexual relationships. Tar and some of the people around her invariably cite a long list of male conductors who did the same thing historically, but it's 2022 now, end quote. Field contributes, quote, This film's a fractured fairy tale. I mean, there's never been a single woman who's held the principal conductor post of a major German orchestra. But this character very much downplays her identity and her gender for her own selfish reasons, you know? She wants to be judged on her own merits. But there is something she's not talking about which is vitally important, you know? That disparity. I mean, she's essentially operating within the same parameters as any of the patriarchy that came before her. End quote. And NPR's Simon adds, quote, I guess the question your film keeps raising is, is genius worth the cost to oneself or to those they love? End quote. Number three. In an interview with IndieWire, Blanchett said that immersing herself into the world of Lydia Ta bled into her dreams and that she, quote, woke up with my hand in the air moving sound, end quote. She additionally referred to the scene where Lydia is a guest lecturer at Juilliard, where she takes the student Max to the cleaners in front of everybody for not being all that into Bach, because, as he puts it, quote, Honestly, as a BIPOC pan-gender person, I would say Bach's misogynistic life makes it kind of impossible for me to take his music seriously, end quote. Tar asks him testily to elaborate, and he asks, Didn't he sile like 20 kids? Ta tenses up more and replies, yes, that's documented, along with a considerable amount of music. But I'm sorry, I'm unclear as to what his prodigious skills in the marital bed have to do with B minor. All right, whatever, that's your choice. Ta then goes into a speech about who is and who is not approachable in modern cancel culture, and maintains that he should be more interested in the music itself, and refers to his point of view as, quote, an allergy, end quote. It gets to where you can cut the tension between them with a ten-foot conductor baton when she tells him, don't be so eager to be offended. The narcissism of small differences leads to the most boring conformity. He gathers his things and walks out calling her, quote, a fucking bitch, to which she replies, and you are a robot. The architect of your soul seems to be social media. Blanchett said, quote, I have friends that teach and that's one of the inspirations behind the scene. There's another bigger idea behind it, which is what you would tell your younger self. 
The student is representative of who Lydia Ta was, coming out of habit at 24, wanting to push the boundaries, wanting to do experimental music, wanting to bust up the establishment, but she's gotten past that. She's at another point in her life. End quote. Number two. Writer-director Todd Field wrote Ta with Kate Blanchett in mind. He revealed to the playlist that he'd made a bold gamble by writing it for her, even though she wasn't attached to the feature in any way at that point. If she had not signed on, the film would have been up Schitt's Creek. Luckily, she immediately connected with the material and character, and struck up a mutual, respectful, and supportive collaborative relationship with Field. Number 1. At the end of the film, Lydia has her unfathomably precipitous fall from grace. Now living in the Philippines, she gets ready to conduct a new orchestra, raises her baton, and indulges herself in her artistic passion once again, and we find out she's conducting music for a video game, with an audience of cosplayers in attendance. The video game in question is Monster Hunter. Blanchett told Variety that she had a number of drastically different reactions to this ending, but ultimately delights in its ambiguity. As for Whiplash, try not to get it yourself when you hear these surprising fun facts. Number 5. Having been a drummer himself since the age of 15, Miles Teller practiced for four hours a day, three times a week. A visual double was used for close-up shots, but for the most part it was Teller playing on camera to a pre-recorded track laid over the final edit. The film's editor, Tom Cross, told The Hollywood Reporter that Teller, quote, probably did 99% of the drumming, end quote. Number 4. Both Tella and J.K. Simmons suffered actual pain during filming. For example, in the scene where Andrew tackles Fletcher to the ground, Simmons wound up with two broken ribs. And some of the blood in the scenes involving some wicked vigorous drumming was real too. And throw this in for good measure. At first, when filming the scene where Fletcher repeatedly slaps Andrew in the face to teach him tempo, they used angles and sound effects. But then the decision was made to say, what the fuck, going for the kill. And Fletcher's slaps in the final cut are authentic including all of that redness on Miles Teller's cheeks. Number 3. Writer-director Damien Chazelle started out Whiplash as a 17-minute live-action short film that was a smash success at the 2013 Sundance Film Festival. In this version, Johnny Simmons plays Andrew and J.K. Simmons as Fletcher. It focuses on Andrew's first day at Schaefer. According to J.K. Simmons, he messed up a line the short film ended up using with the colorful insult hurled at Andrew, I will fuck you like a pig when what he was supposed to say was, I will gut you like a fucking pig. Knowing that fuck you like a pig made no sense in context, old JK refused to repeat the wrong line for the feature film. But in the final cut, Damien Chazelle used the original audio from the short film with the botched line, saying it was funnier and more effectively angry. Number two. In an interview with the AV Club, Chazelle says that the band members surrounding Miles Teller were all, quote, music students or young professional musicians, end quote, and, quote, had never been on screen before, end quote. So the fear in their faces as Fletcher is throwing chairs, hollering about Happy Meals and Maz Candy Bars, and slapping faces was the real deal. And number one. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Chazelle and editor Tom Cross wanted for the finale, quote, to really inject our characters in there and see their relationship their looks at each other, and the character's acts. It was important to move Teller from starting in a place of anger to a sublime place where he basically becomes the next Buddy Rich. Simmons starts in a place of anger and humiliation, 
and is slowly won over and happy he found his Charlie Parker. Without these character acts, you just had a music video and not a scene as deep and intense as it could be. End quote. In approaching that scene, they referenced the car chase sequence from The French Connection and the way that scene incorporated Gene Hackman's character. Quote, Chazelle wanted to look at the whiplash finale in the same way. End quote. Shall we conduct our way over to the results of this week's online poll? The question for this episode, number 81, asked you which of these two Oscar-nominated portrayals of narcissistic, mentally unraveled musicians you'd rather have as your mentor. A. Lydia Ta. B. Fletcher. C. You'd rather drop out. Or D. Is Alice Cooper available? On Instagram, there was a vote for C. You'd drop out. And on Twitter, there were ten votes with eight for Lydia Ta, one for I'd drop out, and one for... Is Alice Cooper around? Finally, from the Silver Screeners Facebook group, there was one fatah, four for I drop out, and not one, but two write-ins. One of the write-ins was for Katherine Hepburn, and two voters went for the write-in candidate, Buster Keaton. So that means that Lydia Ta can shelve the score for the video game, because she's back on top again. Thank you so much to everyone who voted. As I say every time, these polls are silly fun, all geared towards generating interest in each upcoming episode. Don't forget to keep your eyes open on my socials for the next poll. Just check out the Silver Screeners group on Facebook, or you can follow me on Twitter at FilmBuff1974, as well as Instagram at FrankMendoza1974, or you can simply email SilverScreenersPod at gmail.com. One more thing before we close out, the listener trivia. In each episode, there is a different trivia question that is directly, and sometimes indirectly, related to the movies or the cast and crew involved. I announce the first name and last initial of anyone who sends in a response, regardless of whether your answer is right or wrong. And in addition to a shout-out in the next episode, if you provide your email, you'll get a movie-related meme sent with a personalized greeting. And give any trivia question from any Silver Screeners episode ago. Whether you're listening to an episode from two years or two weeks ago, it's never too late. You'll get your meme and shout-out no matter how recent or however far back the question is. And if you're a creator, if you write music, if you make films, if you design websites, if you podcast, if you're an author, anything. Always happy to give your stuff a shout-out because people help people. And that's all there is to it in this world. Last time we got a double dose of Marilyn Monroe with a look at Anna de Amis's 2022 Netflix film Blonde and Michelle Williams' 2011's My Week with Marilyn. Both were Oscar-nominated for leading actress for their respective Marilyn films, but for which 2005 film did Michelle Williams get her first Oscar nod? She plays the wife of Heath Ledger, who became her real-life fiancé and father of her daughter, but Ledger, in the film, holds a torch for Jake Gyllenhaal's character. And the answer is... Brokeback Mountain. A movie-themed meme with a personalized greeting is on its way to the following in no particular order. All the way from Milan, Italy, Nick from the Gold Standard Oscars podcast. A great show which takes a dive in each episode into a different Best Picture Academy Award winner. He and his co-hosts, Zan and Rachel, bring a lot of insight every time. Definitely a show worth listening to. And Nick, a virtual high five from the U.S. to Italy. There's also Ed R., a longtime listener and a member of the Facebook group Silver Screeners. Ed, you're really racking them up. Great to hear from you. And anyone who doubts that Liz M. is worth her salt in movie trivia 
She proves them wrong and sinks those naysayers like so much Titanic. And a virtual fist bump to Mac S. from the Get Help Dad podcast, who is a double victim for both this trivia question and the one from last episode that asked for the director of Platoon, Born on the Fourth of July, JFK, and The Doors. Listening to Get Help Dad, by the way, has become part of my morning routine. I listen to it on my way to work every day. It's a daily show that's about three to five minutes per episode filled with parenting tips, life tips, and corny dad jokes. Go give it a listen. And it is always my pleasure to be able to say hey there to Stu from the Stu and Al pod, the first podcasting friend I ever made. He and his co-host Al do a comedy show every two weeks. I've been listening to it now for over two years, and I can tell you, not a second of it was wasted. And a new listener, we have Kim R. from England. It is my pleasure to be able to say hey there, thank you very much for listening, and cheers. And there's also my buddy Chris from the Movie Psycho Podcast. His is another movie show that you want to give a listen to. He does a couple of episodes a week, and each and every single one of them is hugely enjoyable. Big thanks to all of you for keeping this trivia segment alive and well. Keep your eyes open for those memes. And to anyone else listening, no time like the present. Join the trivia. It's easy, fun, and free. Who could ask for anything more? And you can begin with this episode's question. Kate Blanchett and J.K. Simmons are not the only actors to portray less-than-savory, egomaniacal people in positions of power and authority. In 1989, Morgan Freeman played the real-life Joe Clack, the controversial principal of Eastside High School in Patterson, New Jersey, whose mission it is to whip the inner-city place of secondary education into shape and improve its state test scores. Name this film, whose title is taken from a Grammy-winning R&B song by Bill Withers from 1972. And if you're stuck for the answer, don't let it get to you. Just remember that some times in our lives... We all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Enough! Enough! All right, all right, all right. Just trying to help. It's a great song. Just send in your answers, and as always, if you have any follow-up questions or have any comments on anything from today's episode or any episode that you've listened to, just hit me up on my socials. Once again, that's FilmBuff1974 on Twitter. The film group Silver Screen is on Facebook. Frank Mendoza 1974 on Instagram. Or you can email silverscreenispod at gmail.com. And that does it for episode 81. As I say at the conclusion every time, big thanks once again for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Please feel free to give Silver Screeners a rating on Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It does help to boost the show's visibility in these platforms, which only means that more people can discover it and I can keep making a better show for you. Catch you next time. My name is Frank, wishing you good health, good weather, and good movies. And until next time, keep on screening. And I leave you now with the soothing sounds of the students at your local music conservatory on the first day of the new semester as the door opens and they see their new instructor, a last-minute replacement, the tyrannical Fletcher himself. No, God! No, God, please, no! No!